0: Entangled. Last Sunday, we started a new sermon series about the idea of being entangled by sin. And uh, I've heard from several of you this week that talked about how that helped you, what that meant to you, how it's uh, benefited you spiritually. But I think the temptation always, when we talk about sin, is for us to think about the person that we wish were here to hear the sermon. (laughs) The other guy, the other person, a family member, a friend— a relative, a neighbor. Man, I wish they were here this morning to hear this sermon. They really needed this sermon. That's the danger, that's the temptation, is for us to take our focus off of ourselves and think about someone who needs it worse than us, right? This morning, I wanna encourage you not to do that. I want you to think about what it looks like for each of us individually if we become entangled in sin. We know three things are true. We talked about this last week, that if we're entangled in sin, our communication is interrupted with God that our growth in the Lord is disrupted, and that our influence for the Lord becomes corrupted. Those three things are true. We're going to talk about those over the next few weeks, and and I want to talk about this idea of how these sins that we're going to talk about today and the next few weeks are really systemic sins. They're sins that lead to other sins. So essentially, they're roots versus fruit. We could talk a lot about fruit, symptoms, we think about sin in people's lives, and oftentimes we try to deal with it like it's a symptom, like it's a fruit, instead of going to the root. If you take care of the root, you take care of the fruit. If you just focus on the fruit, you never deal with the root, you never really deal with the problem. And for the sins I'm going to talk about over the next few weeks, they're root kind of sins. They're things that go deep, and they entangle us at a real deep level, and they lead to other things. And so the sin I want to talk about this morning is the sin the Bible calls the pride of life. 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. And it goes on in verse 16 to talk about some of the things that are in the world. And one of the things he talks about is the boastful pride of life. Now, the, the sin of pride is something that all of us struggle with from time to time and deal with from time to time in our lives. And it's a sin that entangles us and leads to a lot of other sins in our lives. So this morning, I want you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read two verses there together in just a minute from 1 Peter chapter 5, but I want to welcome in by uh, online campus this morning, those who are watching who are part of our Marshall campus or our Longview campus or the Billy Moore campus that will be watching this later in the week. We're glad—so we're glad you guys are joining us as well this morning. And uh, to the young man I met this week who said that he has not yet attended Moberly, but he watches every week online, started watching during the quarantine, just want to say welcome to you and your family today as well and others that may be watching online. Let me encourage you, more and more people each week are gathering together back in person. That's encouraging. It's encouraging to see. As you're able, as you feel safe to do so, we want to encourage you to do that. But I got to tell you guys, y'all singing that last song, Waymaker, that just blessed me to hear y'all singing. That was a blessing. To be back in a room full of believers and hear that kind of worship happening is a blessing in my life. So if you have First Peter chapter five, why don't you stand with me? We're gonna read verse five and six because this is God breathed. These are the words of God, the word of God. And this is what it says in verse five of 1 Peter five. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Thanks, you can be seated. If I ask you to think about someone that you know who is full of pride, I bet you could do it without even looking at the person next to you. I bet you could do it, right? So I thought about this week, Maybe sharing an illustration about that. And Pastor Jeffrey's preaching over at our Marshall camp this morning. We're preaching the same sermon. And so we collaborate, share notes, and those kind of things. And he was telling me how he was going to start his message. And the Lord kind of used that to spur a thought in me. And, and here's the thought God first attracted me to Jesus through the humility of another teenager, not the pride of another teenager, but the humility. You guys have heard my testimony before. Um, my youth group, Green Acres Baptist Church, went to youth camp with a youth group, Bellevue Baptist Church from Memphis, Tennessee. None of us knew each other. We'd never been together before. We'd never interacted at all. And the youth group from Bellevue Baptist Church was basically a group full of kids who loved Jesus, and the group from Green Acres was basically a group of kids that didn't, honestly, at that time. I was part of it, so I could say that. And you bring these two groups together, and it was kind of crazy. So, the first thing that we thought, that the reprobates thought about was, Let's do a, a basketball game. Let's challenge their guys to a basketball game in front of all the girls so that we can whip them and impress the girls from their church with how cool we are because we play better basketball. That sort of summarizes a typical guy's teenage pride, right? That was me, although I wasn't very good at basketball. So the crazy thing was on their team was a guy named Dave. And Dave, I had never seen a teenager like this in my life, never met anybody like this in my life. Somebody from our team would make a good pass, or a good shot, or block somebody's shot, and Dave would say, hey, good shot. And at first, I was like, I've never seen this before. I think think he's messing with us. I think he's trying to get in our heads, you know? He's trying to throw us off, you know? That wasn't it at all, because as I observed Dave's life the rest of that week, what I realized is that he was truly humble. He was not the typical teenage guy, full of pride, all about himself. That was not him. He was totally unique. And God used his humility to attract me to the gospel, because later that week, I gave my life to Jesus. And it was a a big part of that was the influence of Dave Chenault on my life, because he wasn't full of pride. So I I could use an illustration of somebody who's full of pride, but I just thought I'd tell the other side of that, where Peter talks about clothing yourselves in humility, because all of us know what pride looks like. It's rare when you see someone who's actually full of humility, takes more strength to be that person. So... Pride is pretty obvious, and we see it this morning. I want to make, I hope you'll make three discoveries with me about what pride really is, what it really looks like to be entangled by pride. And the first point I want you to see is this. Pride is dishonest. Essentially, at the core of what pride is, it's a dishonest thing. Why am I saying that? Well, interestingly enough, the the word that's used for pride in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, literally means this, one who makes empty claims or boasts... about, about having cures to rid people of all their ills, basically a charlatan or a quack. <laughs> That's what the original word mean. meant. So for people who originally understood the word pride, they would have thought of someone who traveled around and was a quack who had false cures for people and made false promises to people, dishonest. That's what pride is associated with. Being a quack, being someone who doesn't have integrity, someone who's not honest, someone who's trying to constantly pull one over on people. Pride is essentially dishonest in its its formation. And so when you think about dishonesty, you think about motive. Pride is essentially motivated uh, intentionally from a place of dishonesty. So for the context this morning, I'm speaking to Christians. Most of us in this room, and many of you that are watching online, are believers in Jesus Christ. I realize. Some of you may not be, and some of you who are watching online may not be yet, but pride's the same oftentimes for Christians or non-Christians, and we'll talk about what that looks like. It's essentially dishonest, and when you're entangled in pride, you have three dishonest views. The first dishonest view is you have a dishonest view of who God is. We talked about this a few weeks ago, how, how God is—we talked about the names of God, the series Above Every Other, the name Adonai, that God is the Lord, he's the master, he's the leader He should be that's his rightful place therefore since he's the lord he has righteous authority over all of humanity that's his rightful position but we know what happened in the garden genesis 3 is that adam and eve said no they were tempted to become like god if i eat the fruit then maybe yeah maybe i'll be just like god maybe god's holding out on me and i can become like god in other words i can elevate myself and bring god down to my level And that is dishonest because none of us can actually do that. Romans 1 talks about people who, from the fall of creation, seek to suppress the truth. If you know the truth about something, and you don't want other people to know the truth about that, that's dishonest. And that's what pride does. Because when you live as though you're trying to bring God down, remove God from His rightful place in your life, His place of authority, His place of ultimate leadership, you're living dishonestly, and people that see your lives can be corrupted by your influence because you're, you're essentially saying, no, there's another way you can live. You can, you can have Jesus as your Savior and then not have Jesus as your Lord, and it's a dishonest way to live. Why would anyone ever think that they could be equal to God or above God as a human being? It's kind of silly when you think about it. Look at what Psalm 10:4 says. It says, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. So pride, essentially, is a dishonest view of God. But secondly, it's a dishonest view of self. What pride seeks to do is exalt self. It's self-worship. It's saying, I want to raise myself up. I want to take the place of God in my life. I want to decide what's right and wrong for me. I want to decide what I'll do and what I won't do. I want to decide how to live my life. I don't want God's input or God's uh, feedback about how I'm living my life. I'll take the place of God. It's a dishonest view of self. Totally involves this idea of self-exaltation. Now, I'm not talking about pride in someone like your friend or your child or your spouse or someone that you're proud of. That's that's a different kind of pride. That's not the kind of pride I'm talking about this morning. That kind of pride seeks to benefit someone else, to build them up, to bless them, to encourage them. I'm talking about the kind of pride that seeks to make you the king of the world in your heart, in charge, in control all the time of what happens around you. In this passage, in 1 Peter, the word that he uses for pride there means to shine over someone else. It means to overshine other people. It's this idea of exalting yourself, above god of exalting yourself above other people so it's essentially a dishonest view and, and it's so silly because why can't we agree with paul when he says for who makes you so superior in 1 corinthians 4 7 what do you have that you didn't receive if in fact you did receive it then why do you boast as if you hadn't received it that's a great question paul <laughs> what do you have that you didn't receive oh no you don't understand i'm self-made really you made yourself well i mean except for that part well, that's a pretty big part. <laughs> you can't create life, and you can't bless life like God can. And so for somebody to say, well, you know, I'm better than God, or I'm exalting myself to the place of God in my life, it's silly. It's dishonest because none of us have the authority or the skill to even be God in our lives. But when you seek to, when you seek to have pride in your life or you're disentangled by pride— you seek to elevate yourself and exalt yourself to an unhealthy place and to a place that God doesn't want for you. And so when you think about it, self exaltation is really a silly idea because none of us have anything that didn't come to us from God, including our health, including our mind, including our ability to work and do things that we do. It comes from God. And if you don't acknowledge that, then you're being dishonest. So when you're entangled in pride, you may have a dishonest view of God, of yourself, but then thirdly, you have a dishonest view of everyone else. Think about that. When you're entangled in pride, oftentimes you seek to devalue people, to put other people down so that you feel better about yourself. Know anybody like that? I talked about teenagers a second ago. That's kind of describes sometimes the teenage world, doesn't it? The elementary world, the junior high world. Put people down, make me feel better about myself. Adults do that as well, in case you didn't know. And when you do that, you're entangled in pride. You have a struggle rejoicing when other people do well, when other people succeed, when other people are better than you at something. Does that drive you crazy? Are you okay with that? Can you acknowledge that other people may be smarter than you, (laughs) better than you about some things, have a skill that you don't have, a gift that maybe you don't have? See, pride says, no, I can't handle that. I have to bring that person down so I can feel good about myself. I can't feel good about myself if someone's better than me at something else. That is a symptom of being entangled in pride. Sometimes we do that even in church. In church, it often manifests itself, pride does, in condescension, looking down our nose at other people. This is what Paul says in Romans 12, 16. He says, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't we all want church leaders, staff members, even lay leaders, don't we want church leaders who are full of humility instead of being full of pride? Yeah, people who can admit, I'm not perfect, and I do blow it. And when I blow it, I want to be honest about it, because we all know that none of us are perfect anyway, but pride tends to puff up and make us have to live this false narrative in our lives. Think about your marriage. How does pride manifest itself in your marriage? I've told you guys before, my parents were married 42 years, and in their 42 years, according to my mother, my father never apologized one time. I don't know how they stayed married, because I lived with the man, and he was not always right. But he never admitted it. He would never come clean with me as his child, but certainly not with his wife. If you don't know how to say you're sorry, if you don't know how to apologize, how to humble yourself and say, I blew it. Would you please forgive me? You're entangled in pride. When's the last time you did that? Don't look at your spouse right now. Just think about it, okay? Because the reality is that doesn't work in any relationship. That's dishonest, right? What about in your parent-child relationships? Parents are so afraid to tell their kids they're sorry, not when they discipline them, but when they discipline them incorrectly. I mean, how many times in my life did my wife have to come to me and go, honey, it wasn't the consequence so much as that look on your face when you gave it to him, you know? What? I was smiling, wasn't I? No, you never smile, honey. You never smile, especially when you're talking to him when you're getting him in trouble for something, you know? Oh, well, there were times that I was harsh with my son, too harsh. And I had to go back and say, I'm not sorry for disciplining you, but I'm sorry for the way that I disciplined you. I didn't do that well. I didn't do that right. Would you forgive me? And parents are scared to do that because they think, oh, that's going to totally subvert my authority. No, it's actually going to increase their respect for you because your kids will go, oh, my parents can be honest instead of dishonest. They can say, I mess up sometimes too. Oh, it's not the end of the world when you mess up. Maybe it helps kids believe that they can recover from their mistakes in life, that they can receive forgiveness too. So maybe you need to go home and apologize to your kids today, even if they're adults. That would bless them, believe it or not, to hear you say, I didn't always do it right. Don't just generalize it. Be specific if there's something in your life in terms of your parenting. Look, being entangled in pride is essentially dishonest because it seeks to dethrone God, enthrone self, and devalue everyone else. That's what pride does. That's how pride behaves. And when you're entangled in pride, that's going to characterize your life. So essentially, pride is dishonest. The second thing I want you to see is that pride is defiance. Now, we use that word defiance. That's a strong word. Some of you, I was talking about parenting a second ago. When my wife and I were dating, she babysat for her brother who had two children, a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And I loved to watch her with those kids. It was part of what really attracted me to her, how how well she did with her niece's but the five-year-old was soft touch, soft heart. You could just look at her wrong and she'd start crying, you know, tender hearted. And the three-year-old was strong willed, <laughs> complete opposite, which is so true of kids so many times. And so she would discipline the three-year-old and she would say, come here, let's talk about it. And she would fold her arms, and put her head down and she wouldn't move. And so Christy would go over to her and she'd get down on her level and she'd talk to her and this little girl's got her face down just like this. She's not talking about it. And so Christy would gently take her face and point it to her face and say, now listen to me, and she'd do this with her eyes. (laughs) She'd just look away with her eyes. She's like, so defiant. She's like, you can take my face and make my face look at your face, but I will not look at you in the eyes, you know? She was so defiant. I wonder sometimes if that's what God sees when he tries to correct us. Defiance. Well, defiance manifests itself in a lot of different ways, and one of the ways it manifests itself in our life is independence, just living our lives on our own, independent from God. I'm talking about believers in Jesus Christ who say, no, I got this. I don't really need to depend on God today. You know, that's what independence says. It says, I don't really need God. I got it. I mean, that sounds silly to say that, doesn't it? But how many people live their lives like that? I really don't need God to do whatever I have to do tomorrow. Think about your Monday tomorrow, the things that you have planned that you know you have to get done do you need to depend on God for any of that? Or are you just gonna do it on your own? See, <laughs> you wanna know if you're entangled in pride? Tell me what your daily schedule is. And if nowhere in your daily schedule there's a time for you and God to have FaceTime, for you and God to have one-on-one time, I'm not talking about in the car or in the shower, I'm talking about where you give God your undivided attention. If there's no time like that in your schedule, then you are entangled in pride because you're living independent. You're not depending on God. You're saying, I don't need to. I got it. I can do it on my own, God, until I hit a roadblock or hit a snitch, but otherwise, I got it on my own. So you might be able to live the life that you want like that, but you'll never live the life that God wants for you without him, independent of him. So if you're living like that, you're entangled in pride. You know how else to tell you you're entangled in pride? Some of you are biblically illiterate. I don't mean that as an insult. Some of you have been saved a very long time. Several years ago, Mark Cahill came and stood on this platform, and he preached. Some of you remember Mark. He shares the gospel. He snaps his fingers. Remember that guy, snaps his fingers? He said, take your Bibles out this morning. We're going to be in Acts 29, and I just waited, and I actually heard people turning the pages of their Bible, and I went, there's no Acts 29. There's no 29th chapter of the book of Acts. People just trying to find it, you know. Nate mentioned Exodus 33. Do you know what's in Exodus 33? Genesis 3, Jeremiah 2. I mean, these passages of Scripture, do you know where to find something in the Bible? If you don't know your Bible and you've been saved for many years, you are essentially tangled, entangled in pride because you're saying, I don't really need it till I get in a bind, till I get a bad diagnosis, till I'm in a, you know, a hard situation. Somehow. Otherwise, I'm good. I'll just come to church and somebody will stand up here and preach the word of God and that's when I'll get my Bible in. And that means you're entangled in pride because you're living in independence, not what God wants for you. He wants you to be dependent on him and his word. He wants you to listen to him each day. That prayerlessness, that sense of prayerlessness that some of us have, we pray only when we get in a bind, that demonstrates too that we're entangled in pride, where we only pray when there's a problem. Our church needs to, especially in this transition from now until the time that we get a new pastor, we need to be more and more dependent on god and demonstrate that by praying together we don't do that very often we need corporate prayer there'll be times that in the next few weeks and months we'll call the church to pray together not to have a sermon just to pray because we need to depend on the lord and if if that happens and you get the email about that and you go well i wonder what's on tv tonight (laughs) you're probably entangled in pride because you're saying i don't really need that i want other people to go do that but i don't really need that We need that as a church, and so we're going to be calling you to that more and more in the days ahead. So so pride looks like independence. Sometimes pride looks like arrogance, just out and out, braggadocious, self-will arrogance, which says, basically, if independence says, I don't need God, arrogance says, I'm better than God. Now, you only have to say that and hear yourself say that to go, that's ridiculous. I'm better than God? Is there any human better than God? God? But we live like that sometimes, like we're better than God, like we know more than God. And so we attempt to solve our own problems and resolve our own conflicts, our way, in our wisdom, and it doesn't work very well. Sometimes that idea of defiance and pride manifests itself in just out-and-out disobedience, just saying to the Lord, no, I will not submit to you. I know what you want me to do. I'm not gonna do it. Lots of stories in the Bible about that. There's one in particular that I think of King Saul, he was the first king of Israel. Remember, Israel wanted a king. We want a king and a throne and a palace. We want to be like all the other nations. And God's like, I'm your king. You have a perfect king right now. I'm him. No, 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 we want an earthly king. We want somebody we can see. We want an earthly king. So he gave him a king. He gave him Saul. And we're going to talk more about Saul next week and the sin that we talk about next week. But but Saul, uh, God told Saul to go and attack the Amalekites and judge them. Because he had warned the Amalekites years and years before, you need to repent. And in case you didn't know this, God is the God who ultimately will judge every human being, rightfully and righteously so. He's the only one who should and could, but he will. And so the day came for judgment for the Amalekites, and he told Saul, he said, take your army and go wipe them out completely. Don't bring anything back, kill everybody. This is judgment. Sometimes we have a hard time wrapping our minds around that. But God is ultimately going to judge every person someday. You either have Christ and you miss judgment, or you don't have Christ and you face judgment. And so he used Saul to go to that. Well, Saul, in his own wisdom, went and captured the king of the Amalekites and brought him back. And he also brought back a bunch of sheep and goats and all kinds of stuff he wasn't supposed to bring back. And then Samuel, the prophet, goes and confronts him and says, what have you done? You were told by God to go do it exactly this way. Now you've done it your own way. Why'd you do that? Well, I wanted to bring back some animals to sacrifice to the Lord. And this is what, this is what it says in 1 Samuel 15, 22. So Samuel said to him, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? The answer is no. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft or divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry because you've rejected the word of the lord he's rejected you from being king pretty powerful saul was full of pride did it his way god told him how to do it specifically and he did it his way is there anything in your life right now that's like that you know what God wants you to do. You know exactly what God's will is for your life in some area and you're going, I don't want to do that. Not going to do that. Are you living in open disobedience to God in some area of your life? Maybe he's told you to share your faith with someone and you're like, nope, I can do that. Maybe he's told you to go over here and do something. Nope, serve this person. Nope, not going to do that. Could be a bunch of different things but if the Lord has said and told you to do something and you said, no, I won't do that, then you're entangled in pride and you're the God of your life. You're basically taking God's place and living in defiance toward him. So what is your attitude toward sin right now? What is your attitude toward the idea of pride in your life? Are you independent from God? Are you arrogant? Are you disobedient? The third thing I want you to see this morning is not only is pride dishonest and not only is pride defiance, but pride is also destructive. I think all of us know that. Pride is a systemic thing. I told you, it leads to other things. It's harmful in our lives. It puts us on a path of hardship and destruction. It often manifests itself in an unteachable spirit. Do you know people you can't tell anything to? They know everything? Again, don't look at your spouse right this minute, okay? But there are people who are full of pride, who are entangled in pride, and they think They don't need you to help them with anything. If they want your help, they will ask you for it. Stay out of my business, that kind of attitude. They're unteachable. And why is that destructive? Why do I say that's destructive? Well, because they have a dishonest view of themselves and a dishonest view of God, they don't think they need anybody's input. And when you you get to the place where nobody can tell you anything, you are on the path of destruction. Because that's just not true. All of us need help from other people, especially inside the church. And when you refuse to listen to people, you know what you do. You put yourself on the path of learning things the hard way. (laughs) You ever say that about somebody? Well, I guess they're going to have to learn that the hard way. The hard way is hard. The hard way is often destructive. The hard way is often no fun at all. You ever learn some hard lessons in your life? You think, man, I don't want to do that again. (laughs) I wanna learn it and be done with it. I don't wanna go through that again. The reality is that when we become entangled in pride, sometimes the hard lessons are the only way that we'll listen, find ourselves in a hard place. And sometimes we look at what's going on in someone's life, And it could happen in a lot of different ways. And we may think, well, that's just life, life's hard. You live in life, you go through hard things. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes what we don't realize is that that person's entangled in sin like pride and God is actually using that hardship in their life to discipline them because he actually loves them enough to say, I'm not gonna let you just keep wandering down that path, I'm gonna stop you. And if it takes a hard thing to get you to stop and get on your knees and realize that you need the Lord in your life, I love you enough to do that too. I'm a perfect parent. And so sometimes we think about this idea of God opposing the proud or resisting the proud. Anything that's motivated by pride in my life is going to meet God's resistance and opposition. And that may look like hard things in my life. Sometimes it's hard for me to know that about you. And it's hard for you to know that about me, but often I know that about myself. I know I'm going through this because I've refused to listen at a much earlier stage (laughs) when it would have been a lot easier lesson to learn. Are you teachable or are you unteachable? That's, That's how pride manifests itself sometimes in our life and becomes destructive. How about isolated? People who are full of pride and entangled in pride tend to isolate themselves from other people. They cut themselves off because they honestly don't want anyone to get to know the real them. If you got to know the real me, then you might realize and know that I have faults, and I can't let you see that about me because that doesn't match this false image that I have of myself that I want everyone else to have of me full of pride, entangled in pride. So I, I cut myself off from people. I don't want to be in relationship with people. And you know, you can come sit in a worship gathering and, and you can still be pretty isolated, right? You can say hi to people when you come in the door and say hi to them when you go out the door, and, Really never get to know them. That's where a connect group is so important, so essential, because in a connect group, you're going to be life on life. You're going to get to know each other better and share life together, and that's going to be a meaningful thing. And it brings you out of that isolation. And if I would say one thing to the men in this room and the men who are watching online is men today are so incredibly isolated. We are so afraid to let people know what's really going on in our lives spiritually. I'm talking about men in the church, just so isolated, so protected, so well defended. We don't want anyone to get close to us because we don't want them to know that we are actually weak. (laughs) Men aren't supposed to be weak. Well, the truth is some of us are. Maybe not physically, but maybe spiritually or emotionally. Maybe we're weak. And that's where a brother can help you. That's where being in fellowship with another believer can truly help you. But when you're entangled in pride, you're on this road of destruction because the more isolated you get, then the more susceptible you are to attack. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, stealing a stealing sheep away from the flock is, is the first line of attack. Create some isolation. Proverbs 16, 18, a verse that's very familiar, says this, Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. You know stories about that. You know people whose, whose lives have been full of pride, and then they had some kind of fall. We know about world empires that got full of themselves and ultimately crumbled from the inside out. We see that even in our own world. Many of you have heard about the two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, in Genesis chapter 19. And if you read that story, it's a terrible story, the things that went on in those two cities. And most of you would say that Sodom and Gomorrah are known for one particular sin, the sin of sodomy, the sin of homosexuality, right? But it's interesting, over in Ezekiel chapter 16, The prophet is talking about Israel, he's talking about Jerusalem, God's people, and he compares them with Sodom and Gomorrah. And he actually says they're far worse. And yet, did they have homosexuality in Jerusalem? No. But listen to what the prophet says about what really went on in Sodom and Gomorrah. He says this in verse 49 49 of chapter 16. Now this was the iniquity or the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her sisters had pride, plenty of food and comfortable security, but they didn't support the poor and needy starts right there. They had pride. Go back to Romans one pride. They seek to suppress the truth. They know the truth, but they don't want to submit to the truth. They create their own truth. Well, we often think of Sodom and Gomorrah because of the sin of homosexuality, but it didn't start there. That's the fruit. The root was pride. The root was this self-exaltation that said, I'll raise myself above God, I'll be my own God, I'll make my own decisions. Does that describe the culture we live in now? Can you believe how strange the things that are going on in our culture are now? We live in a world that embraces relative truth, and so it's, it's just gonna get crazier, people, I'm telling you, because people have thrown out the idea of absolute truth, the absolute truth that God is God, and so since God's not God anymore, You can be God. I can be God. So who's to tell me I'm wrong? I can do whatever I want. You can do whatever you want. That's what we see lived out in our culture all around us right now. I heard this last past week that pedophilia is now being treated like homosexuality. And I'm not totally surprised. I'm shocked, but I'm not totally surprised because if you can do what's right in your own eyes and I can do what's right in my own eyes, who's to say I'm wrong? Who's to say you're wrong? pride, that idea. There's actually a movement called the pride movement, right? I don't think they mean the same thing, but they're celebrating essentially that they can make their own rules, that people can make their own rules about what's true and what's right. And that is not from the Lord. So God is opposed to the proud. The Bible actually says if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, that you're an enemy of God. Most of us don't want to think of that, because why would I want to be an enemy of God? But your sin has done that. And this morning, if you've never asked Christ to come into your life, the Bible says you're at enmity with God. Now, he doesn't want that. He wants to take you from being an enemy and make you a friend. He wants to take you from making you a stranger and make you into his child. He wants to adopt you and make you his child. And it's not difficult for us to do as humans. All we have to do is put our faith in Jesus Christ and say, I believe you're the Savior of the world and I want you to come into my life and be my Savior. Now, I know many of you in this room have already placed your faith in Jesus Christ. But I realize every time we get together, there are people here and online who have not yet made that decision, the most important decision in their life. So I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. And I'm gonna ask you to pray, especially if you're already a believer in Jesus Christ. But if you've never asked Christ to come into your life, I want you to listen to me very carefully. This is for you. You're not here by accident this morning. You're not watching online by accident. God has you here because he's drawing you to himself and he wants to save you. The Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this morning I want to lead you, if you're ready to receive Christ, I wanna lead you in a time of calling on his name so that you can be saved, so your sin can be completely forgiven and you can have an everlasting relationship with God in eternity, now and all the way through eternity. And if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you with nobody looking around but me, if that's you, you, just raise your hand that you want to receive Christ this morning. I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to ask him to come into my life and be my Savior. I'm going to call on his name this morning. Just raise your hand. Be bold about it. It's the best decision you will ever make. And there are people who do that week in and week out here. They give their life to Christ. So we always want to offer the gospel. You had your hand raised. I'm going to lead you in just a time of calling on the name of the Lord, whether you're in the room or or watching online. You just say this to the Lord. He knows your heart. He knows if you're sincere. And if you're sincere, He will answer this prayer, this request on your part. So just say this to Him Dear God in heaven, I am sorry for all my sin. I don't want it. I abandon it, I walk away from it. I want Jesus to be my Savior. I believe he's the savior of the world and I want him to come into my life and save me right now. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sin and giving me an eternal relationship with you. In Jesus name, amen.